Blog Talk Radio. like if I 
died and came back from dead ten minutes later, I probably would have forgotten that I even saw this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was just the thing. It was just kind of like, it was it was just like when we left, I was just like, that's fine. I'm not going to be in any rush to see it, but, I mean, Lord knows I've sat through much worse. <laughs> the cast definitely kind of brings this one up as opposed to what it could have been, you know? How how long do you think it'll take before we get a uh, direct-to-video sequel? <laughs> uh, I don't really know how they could do a sequel, but you never know nowadays. Well, I don't know. It's, like it's that. not it really that big of a success. Well, and that's just the thing. There's been so many movies that have been coming out that are like direct-to-DVD sequels of movies where I'm like, really? We needed another one? Like... Wasn't the first one enough? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ten million opening weekend, and it only cost three million to make. So it's already made a, a profit for the studio. So I'm sure they're probably going to try to milk it as much as they possibly can. Or they're just going to take movies that have been on the shelf and shove them out with that title, like they did with A Haunting in Connecticut Part Two, A Haunting in Georgia. <laughs> well, and this is the same studio that made uh, In the Black 2 Made what? Uh, this is the same studio too That made Woman in Black 2 Oh god And that got a theatrical release I'm still Just kind of mind blown About that <laughs> Well and I, it's so I, I was just like That was well, and the thing that was is I was just like, again, I was like, really? Another one? I mean, I wasn't in love with the first one. Like, yeah, the production value was really high, but how many times can you watch Daniel Radcliffe watch up and down a hallway looking scared with a candelabra? Yeah, I mean the original is one of those movies that's where I'm like, oh, that's the movie was really nicely shot and it was it was well made, but it was just so generic. Like there was just nothing to it. So I don't know. It was just boring. Yeah, I'm kind of right there. Yeah, it was with boring. You. Um, so yeah, moving on with our show this week. We, for those of you guys who haven't checked it out, um, we still have this summer and Christmas on Indiegogo. Um, become a backer if you want. Help us get a wider Blu-ray release. Um, just go to Indiegogo, type in this memory Christmas, or check out the Facebook page. Uh, we still have 10 days left on that. And we do have um, pre-orders for this memory Christmas t-shirt that's going on right now. That should be shipping next week, approximately, um, right around Friday the 13th. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, yeah, we can jump right into our show this week. Last week, we tackled John Carpenter. This week, we're looking at uh, select filmography from Wes Craven, kind of getting away from the um, the genre franchise films that we've talked about many times. I mean, we've talked about Nightmare on the Street and Scream. Um, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't a single podcast where one of those two movies weren't mentioned. But... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we can uh, jump right into our show this week. And this um, will probably be another one, too. 
I guess technically I already did mention it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, we can jump right into good. it. Um, so, Wes Craven, we kind of, last week we talked about our thoughts on watching a John Carpenter movie, what we expect going into it. Um, what are your thoughts on going into watching a, a Wes Craven film? Well, I mean, it's just, oh, um, on John Carpenter, did you finish Prince of Darkness, and did you like Prince of Darkness? I did. I liked it a lot. It was very, it it went a different route from what I was expecting, Um, but I really enjoyed it. I'm surprised that it took me this long to watch it, but um, yeah, I thought it was really um, spooky. I thought it had a lot of good atmosphere, and yeah, I just I I liked how how this you know um, bleak the movie was for lack of a better word, but yeah, I thought it was really good. Okay, good. Um, and now when I'm about to watch a Wes Craven movie, I am expecting an interesting story, some decent actors, and studio interference. How about you? <laughs> um, usually when I go into a West Craven movie, um, yeah, the studio interference is right there. Um, immediately I assume that the story probably takes place in suburbia and probably has a, a strong uh-huh. lead. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely go with that. Although I am... I don't remember the lead in my soul to take being all that strong, but I don't know. I feel like I need to read that script again because I feel like the script was much stronger than the movie we got. Maybe. Yeah, I I remember reading the my soul to take script and what it felt like when I saw the movie, and we, we can talk about the movie a little bit more later. But um, it felt like there was a lot cut out. So what we were getting were a lot of scenes with the characters standing around talking about what had happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might as well just jump into the podcast and start it with my soul to take because we're going to be talking about it anyways, and there's really no rhyme or reason to this. Yeah, no, it was just, I read it back when it was called 25-8, and it was like, keep your eyes open 25 hours a day, eight days a week as a, like, I think play on like, just how it's, I don't, I don't even really remember. It's been so long since I read that script, but I just remember watching it. I was like, wow, they toned everything like way down. I was still surprised it was an R. It was an R, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you see anybody get killed. Everybody's off screen and you may be fine their like I don't even know. It would probably be PG-13 nowadays, but who knows? It's a horror movie and it's Wes Craven, so they'd probably slap an R rating on it just to be, you know, the MPAA. We really, really need to overhaul that. <laughs> um, I think with this one, too, um, from what I remember, and it's been a, a couple of years since I've seen this whole thing, but I think it mostly had to do with language. Like, um, I won't say the word on the podcast, Which but is I know for sure. Stupid. 
that they say the C word a few times, the killer does. <laughs> That's the stupidest. I, I'm sorry, but movies should not be rated R on language. Language is no, the really smallest really. thing that a movie should be rated about. I mean, Boyhood was in R rating because of language, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was one scene. The, the irony about a movie like Boyhood is that the movie, the reason that movie is rated R, because there's a scene where teenagers are sitting around talking about what teenagers would say. But because of that, teenagers aren't allowed to see that movie. Like, there's so much irony in that. <laughs> yeah, and like, I, I still get my mind blown when I find out that. Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion is an R rating because aside from Janine Garofalo, that is like one of the most random R ratings I have ever seen. Yeah, I'm really well, and let's surprised. Not forget the, uh, let's not forget the R rating for bias. I mean, the R rating for being too scary with The Conjuring. I mean, my lord. Yep, and um, uh, not only The Conjuring, but also, um, uh, what's the other one? Um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark was also rated R for pervasive scariness. That is so stupid. How can a bunch of stuffy old suits decide what's scary for everyone? I mean, they clearly thought that G.I. Joe was PG-13, and I found that movie horrifying. Probably not for the same reason somebody would find the conjuring scary, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a movie like that, like, it's fine to think it's PG-13 and you can kill 100 people as long as there isn't any blood. Well, and as long as it's guns and they are just villain number one. If they're not a character, yeah, it doesn't matter. They don't count. What is that? Te- what is that teaching people? I mean, God forbid no, there's a slasher movie like awful. Scream where it shows the replication or repercussions of two kids being murdered in the beginning, but you know, they have they have names and their characters and they're dispatched horribly, so God don't show that, but you know, show the hero shooting a hundred bad guys in one line and not even blinking an eye. No wonder we have so much problems with gun violence in this country. Sorry, that's about political. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, but yeah, it's just the ratings board is a complete mess. We could we could easily do an entire podcast just on uh, the follies of the MPAA. Um, just oh, I just there's so much that just makes me angry about them. Tune in next but, week, um, folks. We got our we got our show title. <laughs> there you go. Let's do it. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, let's do it. Um, so yeah, going back to my soul to take. Um, this story is a bit of a mess. It's kind of a, a jumble of a lot of ideas. Uh, I will say this: I think it's a great looking movie. Um, I like the cast. I think the cast is all very likable. Um, it's just. It, it's a mess, but it's a really enjoyable mess. And I could say that about a lot of Wes Craven movies, but um, like you had said last week with, with uh, The Lord, you know, if 
that movie wasn't directed by John Carpenter and this movie wasn't directed by Wes Craven, you know, it wouldn't have gotten that, you know, just that hatred response from fans. It's just like, oh, this sucks. This is the worst movie I've ever seen. You know, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, I mean, my think I've watched it several times since it came out. I think it's a fun movie. I think it, it does what it needs to do. And... There's nothing really particularly wrong with it. Like, there's there's stuff that I like more about it than others, but there's nothing about the movie that's like, oh, I can't stand when they do this, which nowadays, that in and of itself is almost a recommendation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a perfectly adequate movie. I mean, it's acted fine. The Death Order is a little odd. I was kind of surprised about that but I mean it's just it's it's just very kind of pedestrian and so to have much like the ward have such a high end director high end sorry to have like a highly regarded director like that make such a kind of pedestrian movie it it that's why I think the backlash happened had he done it mm-hmm. under a pseudonym I don't think both movies, I mean, people would have been like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> nothing special, but nothing yeah, bad. I mean, neither one of them are bad movies. They're just... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I guess just comparing the two, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like my soul to take a little bit better than The Ward, mainly because I think of the two... Although the movie's not very good, I don't think that Wes Craven kind of phoned it in with this movie because it just it still feels like a Wes Craven movie. Um, just how it looks, the characters, the setting. Um, I can't say the same thing is true with The Ward. Um, there's nothing really particularly about that movie that's like that's a John Carpenter movie. But I think that either one of them, at the very least, are worth a one-time watch because you can do a lot worse than they end. Yeah. So. Um, Moving on, which one would you like to talk about next? Well, let's go with uh, Last House on the Left, his first. Sounds good to me. Um, I know with this movie, I'm a a bigger fan of this movie than you are. Um, I like the whole documentary feel of the film. I think it's very gritty. Uh, I think it's got some interesting characters. Uh, I do think that... With a movie like this, these kind of rape revenge movies, it's it's a very fine line between um, um, trying to have kind of a message and a point and just being pure exploitation. I think this movie kind of finds that line. Um, I do actually like the fact that it's the parents that get revenge. It's just very it's a movie of its time very much. This is kind of the kind of movie that would, it would never be made like this today. There's these odd moments of comedic effect that are just very jarring, but they're just very 70s. And when I watch this movie, you know, I can't say that it's an enjoyable film at all, but uh, I think it takes a lot of chances, especially for the time that it came out. And for better or worse, it kind of, inspired a, a subgenre of horror when it comes to this kind of subject matter. It's not necessarily one that I'm a fan of, but at the very least, the movie is groundbreaking for that in and of itself. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with a lot of your points. I, I, I might one of my main problems with it is the jarring comedic cops, and I kind of feel the same way about how they tried to throw the cops in Halloween Five with the clown music. It's basically they were trying to do the same thing, and I just don't think it fits. Like it kind of is just like a, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, they're riding in the back of a pig truck, and it just, that whole thing could have been cut out. But, I mean, the characters, the the bad guys are probably some of the most kind of terrifying bad guys because they just are normal. Like, they don't look like Freddy, and they're they're not wearing a mask or anything. Like, they're just, huh? Hey, what's up? I'm kill you. Type kind of people. So, no, yeah. I completely agree with you. And there's there's one great scene in Last House on the Left where after they kill the two girls, spoiler alert, I'd be shocked if you haven't seen this, but whatever. Um, they're washing their their hands and their clothes in the stream, and there's this kind of look where they all look at each other. It's like, and you know, you can read it on their face. It's like, you know, what what did we just do? And that's the kind of moment that kind of separates this movie from a lot of the imitators because these in in the imitators like I spend in your grave. You know, these are just pure and simply evil people that are doing bad things, and there's. There's moments like that in this movie that I really think kind of puts it in another class um, ahead of the, the imitators of the group. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all the other ones, like maybe one person has a conscience, but in that moment you see that they all kind of, but they shrug it off because they are bad people, but they still have that moment of where they were like, did we just do the wrong thing? And then they were just like, nothing we can do about it now. Whereas all the imitators are like, oh, yeah, she liked it. Or she loved it. Oh, God. Uh, Rape Revenge is one of my, if not my least favorite, like, subgenre of horror. Yeah, and I mean, I just find them very tacky. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. I do like too in this movie. There's there's a moment at the end where you know the dad's got the chainsaw, and we just kind of look at the parents and kind of we see like the aftermath of what they did. And there's this moment that's like, you know, are these people really any better than these people that they just killed? And it is stuff like that that isn't touched on in kind of the the lesser movies of the subgenre. Yeah. No, definitely. So what what movie would you like to talk about next? Well, well, we could discuss Cursed or Shocker or Red Eye or do you have one you'd like to bring up? Deadly Friend. Um, I'm fine with any of those. So Deadly just blessing. kind of jump right in. And, um, like a movie. All right. Well, I mean, let's. We've talked about Deadly Friend before. Deadly Blessing, I'm a little fuzzy on. Because every time I put it in, I fall asleep. It's usually because of Sharon Stone's acting. So um, we'll go with Red Eye. 
That sounds good to me. Oh, it's by the way, um, if you do a thriller, um, listen to the commentary because he's got some choice things to say about Sharon Stone. That's very good. <laughs> I will watch that after this then because I have the Screen Factory <laughs> Blu-ray and it just... Oh, now I'm excited. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, Red Eye. Um, uh, yeah, Red Eye. What are your thoughts? Um, I would say it's... I and mean, people say it's not a horror movie, but... I, I feel like it is kind of... It has its moments. Um, I think it's definitely elevated by... Wes's direction and the performances of Cillian Murphy and Rachel McAdams, um, having those two as the leads was probably one of the smartest things because they're both very engaging actors. Um, you're, you kind of get captivated by them right away. And had it been somebody else, like not as good as those two, I don't think the movie would have worked because the whole movie pretty much hinges on just those two. So you better have a very, like, magnetic pair of actors. And I think they really did kind of um, struck it out of the park with those two. It does kind of lose a little steam, get a little screamy once they get off the plane. But I don't mind it. I think it's still pretty entertaining. Um, I was not mad at it when I saw it. And I was just kind of like, when it was over, I was like, huh. I kind of like that because it kind of came out of nowhere. I was just kind of like, okay, how are, how are we going to make a movie about two people on a plane? But I thought it ended up being pretty well. What about you? Um, I I love this movie. Um, the the first thing that I will mention about this movie is that if you take out the the credits at the end, the movie's like eighty minutes long. It's so efficient. Um, so often with thrillers, we have all of these scenes that pretty much just are there to pad the running time. This movie is right straight to the point. It's got one of my favorite misleading trailers of all time. I loved the trailer for this movie. They like the first kind of half of it. They make it look like it's this quirky romantic comedy about these two people meeting for the first time on this plane, and then all of a sudden, halfway through the tra- trailer, it shifts gears, and you realize there's something sinister behind this. I think that was a, a brilliant marketing move on the, the part of DreamWorks. Um, I just think this is a really fun thriller. It's nothing serious. It's the kind of movie, I mean, granted, it would have been different, but it's the kind of movie that I could see, you know, like Hitchcock making, where it's just a very simple thriller. 90% of the movie just has to do with these two characters. Two-thirds of the movie is just set in the plane, one location. Like you said, it helps that we have these actors that are very engaging. We actually care about them. Um, and it, Wes does a really good job of building the suspense throughout. Um, it's just, it's it's a fun little thriller that doesn't take itself seriously. It knows exactly what it wants to do. And, yeah, it's it's great. Um, the, the funny thing about this movie is that um, I could be wrong, but I, I remember reading that Wes Craven actually shot this entire movie in between the the reshoots of Curse, which that kind of shows you how long it took to get that movie off the ground. Um, I know they both came out that same year. I don't know for sure that that's true, but given the production history of Curse, I would not doubt that 
in the slightest. No, not at all. And it seems like a movie like this would be much quicker to film because it's very centralized location. I mean, ninety percent of the movie is on the plane, and so after that, it's uh, like uh, like probably I would say maybe four days worth of stuff at the hotel, and then maybe a week at the house. So it could have all been filmed in like a month. So yeah, I could totally see that because Cursed was a mess. We'll get to that one next. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's it's really funny just kind of comparing these two and the fact that they came out the same year. Uh, Red Eye, like I said, is a very efficient, to-the-point thriller, knows exactly what it wants to do, uh, and it it pushes all the right buttons. There's there's a couple of moments in the movie where, especially for the time that it came out, I I think that especially security-wise, this movie might have been more believable had it took place before 9-11, um, I don't think that some of the stuff, well, I know for sure some of the stuff is pushing logic limits about what could have happened on the plane and off the plane. But you just go with it because you're having a good time. And if that's the biggest problem with the movie, it, it's a pretty good movie nonetheless. But, yeah, Cursed. So Cursed came out, um, let's see, like, a, like just a few months before Red Eye. And it, it, what's really funny with this movie is that I still remember that um, Dimension, the studio that released it, actually had a, a release date for it before they shot anything. The funniest thing about this is that the release, the original release date for this movie was a year and a half before the movie was actually released. Um, it went through hell. Um, of the movie, possibly even more, ended up being reshot. Uh, Not only that, about a month before they actually finally released it, they decided, um, no, we're not going to release it as an R-rated movie. We're going to release it as a PG-13 movie, which actually really surprises me. It actually even surprised me when I first saw it because it's even the theatrical cut, which is cut down, it's still a pretty strong PG-13. I'm actually surprised that they even kind of um, let them get away with that. But I don't know. The R-rated version that was finally released on DVD is much better, um, but it still has a lot of problems, and a lot of the problems have to do with Dimension and all of the reshoots and all of these characters and kind of subplots that don't go anywhere and just kind of jarring tonal shifts. The cast does what they can. They're really good in this. I think that the direction is solid. It's it's actually got, for as many problems as it has, it's got a couple of really good suspense sequences, um, one of them involving um, Maya in the parking garage. But um, I don't know. This is kind of one of those movies that I can watch it and say this is a lot better than it probably had any right to be, and I, I did have a good time with it. I even had a good time with the PG-13 version, but there's that sinking feeling that's like, this movie could have been a lot better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're not just talking like 80% of the movie. Like, they scrapped almost everything. Like, the original script, they cut, like, it was supposed to be Christina Ricci, Jesse Eisenberg, his brother and sister, and then Skeet Ulrich is like a mystery man, 
that they are involved in the car accident with, he's gone. Heather Langenkamp was gone. All these, like, actors they announced that everyone's like, oh, cool, they're going to do... They all just chopped them out. I mean, probably the only reason that we have, like, such a strong, like, kind of having fun with it is because it's Scream with werewolves. I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, it like, is very... Who is it? Who done it? Who is it? Who done it? Everybody's a red herring and the Scott Bayo's in it for some reason. <laughs> Portia de Rossi pops up as a psychic for two scenes for no reason. Like, it's just... So weird. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things Jesse where Eisenberg, you know, yeah, I mean the cast like Jesse really Eisenberg does telling all of his friends like he was just like, yeah, I'm cursed. I'm cursed by the mark of the beast. I've got an undying sexual attraction, and I'm just like, why would you actually tell somebody that? Like, really, Jesse Eisenberg? Like, <laughs> I'm cursed by the mark of the beast. I'm a werewolf. It rolls right out the tongue. Yeah, it's just, it's very silly. And it's one of those movies, too, that, you know, it, I don't know, it wasn't screened for critics. They really just kind of dumped this into theaters. I think, you know, I, I'm surprised that they went through all of this painstaking work of all of these leashes and get a piece of scene when they really didn't promote this at all. Um, it, barely made half of its budget back in theaters, and it was really kind of in and out of theaters in just a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's definitely a lot of fun. You said it's the best. It, it's Screen with Werewolves. If that sounds interesting to you and you haven't watched this, chances are you'll probably at least have a good time with it. Um, this came out in a very very bad year for horror, and I mean really bad, um, where, you know, we got stuff like Boogeyman and, you know, just like Ugh. just bland things like White Noise and Hide and Seek, where Ugh. this movie actually looked a lot better than what it was just after, I mean, because I mentioned three movies. These all, like, this movie came out in February. These these were three movies that came out already before this in this year. So maybe Curse just looked better in comparison. I don't think I hated Hide and Seek. I, eh, that's another one of those movies where they shot, like, five different endings and they didn't know what they wanted to do with the material. It's not a bad movie. It's got a really good cast. I just think that, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think that the, the premise is better than the execution, which I guess could you could probably say that for Curse. Too. Oh yeah, the, the, the ending's a, the ending's a total joke. I mean, but I mean, how many times have we seen that ending before? I mean, I just thought the lead up to the ending was well done, but maybe it, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I might be looking back with rose tinted glasses. <laughs> maybe I should take another look, see it, hide and seek. I just. Kind of, I remembered not hating it because I think I saw it right around the time I saw Secret Window, and I hated that one. So, yeah, maybe it was just a comparison thing. Probably. Or I was like, well, at least it wasn't as bad as that one. 
<laughs> or I could have yeah. I could have been half in the bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. So were there any other um Wes Craven movies that you kind of wanted to touch on? Well, I mean I was I remember having Shocker on the list, but again it's been a really long time since I've seen that one too. I remember not again, like not hating that one as much as everybody else did, but it's still not very good. <laughs> yeah, Shocker's kind of one of those movies where it was the Serpent and the Rainbow. Yeah, the Serpent and the Rainbow is really interesting. Um, just kind of, kind of the voodoo and just kind of the 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 story is kind of offbeat and just kind of the, the location is taking place in Haiti. It's just, it's a very, I don't know. It was kind of one of those, you know. Um, I don't know, like, like Wes Craven for, for a while there was making almost kind of gritty movies or just kind of movies about um, stuff that people don't want to talk about. I mean, we talked a little bit about people under the stairs, you know, with that, with, like, the S&M and the incest, and, you know, just kind of the, the kidnapping of these kids and um, the, the child abuse, you know. It was, it's, it's stuff like that that for early 90s, Wes Craven before I kind of found its footing again with stuff like New Nightmare and the Scream series, they they were interesting films. Some of them were better than others. Um, Shocker, I don't think it's particularly good, but it's got a it's got an interesting idea. I think the biggest problem with Shocker is that it was so obvious that Universal was just kind of, you know, they just wanted to make another Freddy Krueger and trying to make too a Freddy Krueger. Yeah, too much of this feels like imitation Nightmare on Elm Street, which sadly, I mean, granted, it, Wes Craven did make it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is, which, I mean, I, I guess if, you know, if everyone else is going to rip off you, you might as well rip off yourself. So, you know, what do you do? Maybe I'll make Dylan have a Wes Craven marathon where I rewatch Shocker, Deadly Friend, Deadly Blessing, and finally watch Serpent in the Rainbow. Drop yourself in, Dylan. You're in for a long night of West Craven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, West Craven's really interesting in that he's one of those horror directors. He's one of like the very few that you know. And we've kind of talked about this on our show before that you know when when you get to quote unquote mainstream, kind of the the horror audience turns on you. I think that horror fans have really, I don't know why they're kind of so mean to him, for lack of a better word. You know, it's just, I don't know, like, it, it's almost kind of cool to, you know, and I hate that word, but I mean, it's it's cool to almost not like his movies or not like him just because he's had some decent-sized hits, which it's a shame because he's made some really good movies and some very groundbreaking ones that have really changed the genre, and it's sad that more fans can't really appreciate that. Well, I mean, that's just the thing, is it's like this, like, oh, we're we, we're so different, we watch horror movies, and if something crosses over in the mainstream audience embrace it, then that's just bad, because it's like, well, you're not, you're not a true horror fan. That phrase needs to get burned alive, because if I have to hear somebody tell you're not a true horror fan, no. You like any kind of horror movie, you're a horror fan. None of this true horror fan bullshit. Go suck an egg. <laughs> yeah, or the um, that kind of stigma that's like, well, if you haven't seen this, you can consider yourself a horror fan. Well, there's tons of movies that lots of people haven't seen. It doesn't mean that, you know, and there's different types of horror fans too, you know, just because 
you know, you like one subgenre of horror and not another, that doesn't make you any less of a horror fan than somebody that likes everything, you know. We should be celebrating the stuff that we like as opposed to kind of just talking endlessly about stuff that we hate and just kind of stuff that we don't like, you know. That's kind of what the Internet's really become. And it's really sad because, I don't know, like I remember kind of, Back in the day, you know, the the beginning of the the internet, you know, I just remember going into like chat rooms and stuff like that, and people were just really excited to talk about horror movies, and just really excited to talk to other people about movies they liked. And then, since kind of social media, there's been this shift where you know, kind of everyone's an asshole. Yeah, that's about right. Well, it's easy to do that without a face or a name attached to it. Yeah, pretty much. And, I mean, it kind of everybody's everybody's always right, and nobody wants to say that they're wrong, and everyone's opinion is better than somebody else's opinion because it's their own. And it's just – it's stuff like that that it's just kind of – I don't know. It's People have become so condescending, and it's just – it's really obnoxious. You know, I, I used to kind of check out horror forums, like, all of the time, and I used to be really excited to talk to people about them. And, and I still am. You know, if you go to conventions, it's kind of a different atmosphere. You have that a, a little bit, but for the most part, people are there because they really love it and they want to, you know, celebrate the stuff that they really love. Um, but, yeah, when you don't have to put a face or a name behind it and, you know, you can just talk whatever, yeah, people people are, are ready to shoot anyone else down. And it, it's really sad, it is. Well, you know, just some people have too much free time on their hands. But what can you do? I mean, it just seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I just kind of avoid those forums. Sometimes I read them for a mild chuckle. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a lot of eye rolling because it's just. Yeah, I just oh, a lot of eye rolling with me, too. Yeah, I mean, they gush over certain things, but vehemently dislike another things. And, oh, well, Scream isn't a horror movie. And I'm like, really, though? It's a horror movie. Pretty horrifying, at least the beginning is. A little bit Yeah, and I'm about, hey, whatever. That's if it yeah, up the box office, you'd be singing its praises. Yeah, that's that's really the thing right there is that, and, and I think that another kind of important point too is that, you know, just because, you know, this kind of taking the other side of the argument, but, um, you know, just because a movie is really successful or a movie, you know, tanks, it's really interesting, you know, 10 years down the road, you know, what movies from today are, were, are we going to be talking about as kind of, you know, classics of this decade? I honestly have no idea. Um, there's been some really well-reviewed horror movies coming out lately that I'm excited that people are kind of putting the passion back into the genre, but who knows where it'll go from here. And I'm, I'm excited, but at the same time, apprehensive. But, yeah, um, here's hoping for some good horror movies um, that are coming out soon. I think we need them, and I would like to see kind of people band together and just talk about a movie that they really like as opposed to being... Um, uh, a bunch of hype that's like, yeah, that movie's great, that movie's great, and then all of a sudden, a month later, the backlash, so it's like, that was overrated. 
Ugh, I hate that word. <laughs> they just say it for anything yeah, that I people do. like. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of the day, I don't think not be overrated. So, yeah, I guess we'll end on there. So, um, nope. we'll be back next week. Um, talk to you guys later, and have a good slash your filled night. Have a good night. Bye.